Dr. Henry, now that you know what we're going to be talking about, who is at the table today? Well, I tell you, man, we have a powerful man of God that's at the table. He pastors, I'm going to let him kind of introduce where he pastors there in Kentucky. His name is John Ramatera. If we could bring him on, Pastor John Ramatera. And listen, He's already um, been involved in, in this type of conversation, just educating us and pushing us to the next level. We praise God for his presence today. Mm-hmm. All right. And so we have here Pastor John Rimeter. I don't know if you want to just say something about yourself, something that you want us to know, maybe about your place of ministry, uh, maybe um, just about your interests or whatever you want to say. This is your time. Pastor Wade. I think Pastor Paul usually gives the preacher, what, 30.5 seconds, something like that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, because we would have, we would, we would normally give you 40 seconds, but you're a preacher, so you're going to get 30 seconds. <laughs> I understand. Okay, well, first of yeah. all, thank you all for the invitation to uh, be on this panel. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan, so I'm, I'm fanboying right now. Um, but uh, again, my name is Pastor John Ramatera. I serve in the Kentucky, Tennessee Conference, and district I pastor is in the middle of Kentucky area. Most people won't know where these churches are, but I pastor the Danville, Somerset, and Grove churches, which is in the middle of Kentucky area. And for, for a reference, for a map reference, it's it's south of Lexington. So that's the best I can do. Uh, so I have 30 seconds. I was probably 10. Um, but uh, I'm originally, I was born in Guam. Uh, my background and my family is from the Philippines. and But I grew up in Orlando, Florida. So when people ask me where I'm from, I always respond. That's a very nuanced question that you're asking me. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I also like long walks on the beach, and I always am in line for a good place to eat. I'm a foodie, and uh, I always cheer for my Orlando Magic basketball team in the good times and most of the bad times. So okay. there, that's me. Amen. True fan. True fan. Yes, well, listen, yes. we want to get started with the word of prayer. We also want to mention those who have been affected by the mass shootings that have been taking place, uh, the FedEx workers, and we talked about the spa a little bit, and then the grocery store, and the, the, you know Tennessee, what happened there. So it's just it's just going on and on, and we need to pray for those individuals. And Pastor Wade, I don't know if you could um, lead us out with prayer today, and also pray for our friend Pastor Paul as we get into our subject today. Be, be happy to. Let us bow our heads. Father, we thank you again for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you for your saving hand uh, watching over us. Today, we want to lift up Pastor Paul. We pray your healing power would touch him. We thank you for this subject. Thank you for our guest, Pastor John, for joining us. We want to also th- pray for the families that have been affected by these mass shootings and the context in which we are going to be speaking about. And so, Lord, we pray you will come into this space and and lead us and guide us is my prayer in jesus name amen and amen 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 i do want to say just a shout out here we see some people just shouting out to us pass away somebody said season three phillips said season three (laughs) yes 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 appreciate that (laughs) and then we also see jennifer sharon she has been with us from the beginning man and She's there, continuing to pray for healing for Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul says, hello, everybody. So yes. uh, just keep on praying for our our preacher, our, our our one of our colleagues there, so that he come on back and be with us. Definitely, definitely. Um, so listen, so listen, we, 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 we're, we're adding a new feature 
to uh, to Pastor's Roundtable. So before we jump into the subject, we want to share this news uh, footage just to get us get our feet wet. Celebrations are marking the Lunar New Year, the year of the ox, and that includes fireworks. Artists in China threw molten iron against a wall to create these effects. The pandemic, though, has again put a damper on most festivities. And in this country, what should be a celebratory time coincides with a disturbing surge of racist attacks against Asian Americans. Here's CBS's Nancy Chen. This surveillance footage shows a 71-year-old Asian grandmother violently shoved to the ground, her purse stolen. Just one of several attacks in California's Bay Area recently. A 91-year-old man pushed in Oakland's Chinatown, one of three attacks that day. 84-year-old Thai American Visha Ratanapakti knocked over while out for a walk. He died a few days later from his injuries. His family saying they believe it was rooted in racism. This guy should not be lined up back on the street. He should be charged with, with murder. If you see the video, there's nothing non-intentional about it. Asian American leaders say these attacks are a trend, not isolated incidents. What we are seeing is just the tip of the iceberg of what is actually happening in the communities. John Yang is the president of Asian Americans Advancing Justice and blames, in part, anti-Asian rhetoric surrounding the pandemic. The Asian American community has been faced with effectively two pandemics. The first is the COVID-19 pandemic, but the second pandemic that we have faced is also a virus. It's a virus of racism that we have faced. Asian Americans Advancing Justice has cited at least 3,000 anti-Asian incidents since last February. In New York City, there was an 867% increase in Asian hate crime victims in 2020 compared to the year before. NYPD has created a hate crimes task force. Hello. And police Hello. in Oakland's Chinatown are stepping up patrols to reassure business owners and families. We wanted our business owners in our community to know that we care, that we're concerned, and that we're going to do everything we can to keep this community safe. Nancy Chen, CBS News, New York. Celebrations are marking the Lunar New Year, the year of the ox, and that includes fireworks. Artists. All righty. I missed, right. I missed, I wow. missed my cue. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, what, what, a, what a video that kind of describes what has been happening uh, in the Asian community. You know, before we get to that, that first question and get on the chat, if you have a question, go ahead and put it in there. I want to ask uh, Pastor John about the family construct in the Asian community. Um, what their, how they uh, view the elderly. I think that um, that community has uh, just a, a special insight. Um, I think that we all need to adopt on how they view the elderly. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, obviously, Asians are not monolithic. There, I can't speak for all Asians, so I can make a, but I can make a general statement of. of in terms of generally speaking, Asian cultures, we we're very uh, community family centered uh, and we have a high respect for our elders. Um, so when we see when I see things like that, when I see elders who we hold in high in reverence, even uh, we hold them in such a high place of respect and honor in our communities. When we see them getting attacked like that, uh, that's that hits us on a different level. Uh, it's almost like sacrilege to us that you could attack our elders and treat them that way. We would never do that. 
Um, and that, like I said, it hits us, it hits us to the very core. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I saw the report, uh, you know, I, 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 this, I'm lost for words because I don't know how someone can just think about attacking someone. I mean, they're not even, you know, listen, I don't mind you fighting for yourself, but, but, you know, protecting yourself, but to go after people who are, who are not even, they're not even thinking about you, not even coming after you. I think that those, those are some heinous, heinous people, folks we have in our community. And, 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 and we're seeing this, this come out. And I think I, I shared with you, John, a little bit. This is not new to a, to the Asian culture, is it? No, this is definitely not new. I know that it's new for everybody because now it's in the national consciousness, uh, but of hatred and violent acts against Asian Americans in this country uh, have happened throughout the history uh, since uh, Asians first started arriving here. Uh, we have our communities have been the victim of violence and anger and basically blamed for many things uh, over the course of the year. So for me, it's sad that now we're actually having a conversation about this, but this has been happening a lot longer than we think it has. Mm. And I was just reading um, the one, one article the uh, American Psychological Association, they said that uh, within the last year, the the hate crimes have definitely taken a rise. They said some like 149% um, since the pandemic. And, you know, that may be caused to a lot of other factors as well, um, how this community has been victimized um, because of, you know, what people say. And, and so it's just... You know, it's just so hurtful to see a community like that. And I know there's several different, you know, communities within the Asian uh, culture, but uh, it's just hurtful to see people being treated that way. And um, some people have taken a response to this. Um, you know, when we look at uh, what uh, some individuals are doing to stand up for the Asian community, that's good. But then we see other communities who have been victimized. And it seems as if um, the stances that are taken against those laws, for example, and against um, being victimized are um, more readily seen. You know, we, we see it, for example, uh, those laws that were, the law that was introduced in Georgia that was, was passed that had these stringent voter uh, rules. And so because of that, the uh, baseball organization, Major League Baseball, they moved their all-star game outside of Atlanta and they went to uh, Denver. Um, and then we see that, you know, businesses, I mean, they, they voice their concerns as well when it comes to, um, especially like these voting laws, you know. Um, but when it comes to the heightened violence aimed towards Asians in this country, I want to know, does the church have a responsibility to speak up? And I just saw on the chat, I think it was uh, Sister Sharon. She said, what can we do to help with the Asian community? So what should be the response of the church when we see these uh, senseless acts of crime? Okay, well, that's a very loaded question that you asked me. Um, before I answer that, I, I want to say you, you had expressed earlier, how, how do I feel about these violent acts? Well, 
obviously like for me seeing any kind of acts towards anybody because of their ethnicity or their race or their skin color is a travesty because you we're all created in the image of god but i think especially coming from an asian american standpoint what hurts more than obviously these crimes is the fact that we're not seen or heard and we're often dismissed when we bring it up as an issue uh, i when i have voiced out my own in my own way I've been told to essentially stop stop trying to get on the uh, oppression Olympics as if this is a competition for who's more oppressed. Uh, it's about expressing and lamenting uh, the experience historically to the present, how Asians have been treated in this country. Now, we look at you know the Chinese Exclusion Act 71 years, 71 years ago. That's when Chinese were able to actually become Americans in this country. Think about that. That's not that long ago. And ever since Chinese and other Asian uh, groups started coming into this country, uh, we have been labeled as yellow peril. Uh, there have been laws in California uh, basically trying to keep uh, Asian men from marrying white women. Think about that. And you, when we think about why Asians in particular are being targeted, it's because of these stereotypes that have originated from those times labeling uh, Asian men as weak, Asian men as effeminate. And the reason why Asian women are being attacked is because they are seen as unique and exotic and wanting to please men, particularly. And so his history has roots in why Asians are targeted because we are seen as weak. And when you look about it, think about it, Asians constitute about 5.9, almost 6% of the population of the United States. If you think about how little that is in comparison to the overall population, we don't have much of a voice. So now that we actually get to say something, you know what happens is it's like, well, you guys are, uh, you're the model minority. You guys, what are you guys complaining about? Well, that's also a danger for us too. This whole model minority thing, first of all, it's a myth. It is true that per capita, the median income of Asians, Americans in this country are really high. But we also see that among all minorities, Asians also have the highest poverty rate. So that's nonsense in of itself. And so that is one of those reasons why we're dismissed as, you know, when you actually talk about racism, Asians, you guys have nothing to complain about. But the fact of the matter is we have been experiencing violence and acts of of hate and racism throughout the history of this country. So to your question about what should the church do? I think, first of all, if the church is, is church members, if the first thing that you respond is criticism rather than compassion, that's a hard issue. And yes, I've seen ID release a statement in solidarity with Asian Americans, um, but at the same time, real change happens at the local level. And so I, I would say the local church, the individual members, you have to, when you see something wrong, when you don't say anything or you dismiss it, that's just as harmful as the actual act because what you're doing is you're enabling these things. And I think having these conversations on a platform like this in a public setting where we can actually talk about it is one of the steps that we can take as a church to address it. Wow. Wow. You, you know, you, you, you said a few things there. I mean, one of the things that I was I was surprised about and didn't really understand was the model minority stereotype. Um, it, because even as a Caribbean, 
coming to the to the United States, I I did not really understand what African Americans were going through. Although they would look at me and see me as an African American, um, but but I had to make a conscious effort to to reach out to know to learn about the African American history, which which is rich, uh, and I think that that's something we don't do. We we don't. Even as an African American, we don't reach out outside mm -hmm. of our culture to right. really understand other cultures, and so, unfortunately, this is forcing us to learn about others uh, in in a very in a very uh, in a sad way because we should have been connected because these things are happening in each of our cultures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. So, so I wanted to ask this question in terms of what are, what are some of the things we talked about? What should the church the church should have a responsibility to speak up? But I I have to be honest with you. When I spoke with some refugees the other day, um, when we had Global Youth Day, um, I, I got a sense that they did not uh, in, in their in their culture they didn't reach out. Also, so it seems to be mirrored in both cultures that we don't necessarily cross the culture to learn each other, learn about each other is are you picking that up also yeah so part of the issue as to why especially those of asian background because you have asian americans you have asians that have immigrated here uh and you also have refugees so you have different asian experiences right mm. um but culturally speaking we tend not to speak out um because of culture because we do respect authority we don't want to stick out we don't want to make trouble uh and speaking you know for immigrants that come here that want to make a better life they take a lot of stuff uh, they take a lot of insults because they want to make a better life for their family and i know for my parents and i'm thankful for that they did what they did in order to come here so that i could grow up in this country um, but i saw i witnessed with my two eyes and i've heard stories that they shared about racist things that they had to put up with just to live in this country. Um, so culturally, we want to fit in. Uh, we don't want to stand out. Uh, we don't want to speak out. And also there's that element of the inability to speak out because 30, 31% of Asians in this country do not speak English. That's one in three. And so when you have the inability to actually communicate in the language of the land, you really have no ability to advocate at all and there's mm. also that element of fear of retaliation that if you do speak out at your job you're going to be retaliated against um and there's also that concern i read an article as well that there's this concern that justice is actually not going to be done even if they did speak out so you have multiplicity of factors as to why as you said why asians don't speak up at all so I mean, that's something that as Asians, we're going to have to speak in our communities about, but that's, that's not an excuse, but that is an explanation. I, I need to make sure that uh, our viewers don't think that we, we overlooked. I have, I have already marked a couple of comments uh, based on what we saw in the video. Um, we're going to come back to it a little later on in the program in terms of, of, of the makeup of those who were doing some of the crimes, but I, I will, we will get to that, but we wanted to ask, I think we kind of started to touch on it. Do you think that, um, I think you said it, but what, what difference, or is there going to be a difference if, if we begin to, is, 
what a different, how can we begin to speak about this in our churches? The way our churches are, the way our structure is, um, you know, for instance, um, we, we tend to worship in the, in the, in the, in the safety of the constructs of which we, we are culture. And we don't, we don't want to, we don't, there was a time in America when blacks could not worship with whites. And, and now, you know, Korean churches come together, Hispanic churches come together, and we really are not seeing a mixture of these churches. Maybe, maybe out where you are in Danville and, and, and Somerset, because there are really not many options, but, uh, but in places where there's a lot of options, a lot of churches don't mix. What are some of the things as, as a, as a, as a, as a Asian American, and uh, I would say someone who's not Caucasian or a, a unique group you are pastor in a group of churches that are not your culture what are some of the things you can help us in understanding why we need mm -hmm. to, to 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 worship together well so that's that's a that's also a loaded question and <laughs> thank you for the question no it's it's a good question um well i can i can speak as from my experience growing up here you know i'm i grew up american uh, english is my first language because uh my my parents did not want me to stick out they wanted me to learn English and learn it well, so I wouldn't be bullied. So I wouldn't have a hard time uh, navigating this country. And I know they mean well, um, but that also kind of uh, distanced me from my, my parents' culture because I'm not as fluent in the language of the mother tongue. And so that, but that didn't protect me from any of the, the racism that I received over the course of my life. Um, and I have found that you know, being able to speak English, yeah, and growing up in this country, yeah, you you, you can navigate, you know, the culture better. Um, but again, I think that as 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 people, we tend to gravitate towards who those who are like us, uh, that talk like us, that speak like us, that eat the same food, that worship the same way. This is nothing new. This argument isn't mm -hmm. new in our churches. Even if we all speak English, we all have our issues. Um, but I think that inability to or the desire even to cross the line, to, to reach a hand in friendship and, and really learn about other people's stories, learn about their culture, uh, as, as opposed to imposing culture to other people. I just think that we, generally speaking, are closed to how other people view the world and view God and view worship than we do. So we see here that, us, unfortunately, because of the result of, of sin, that we, we just don't like others. We only want mm -hmm. to be amongst those that are like us. And being a Christian, unfortunately, doesn't immunize us against that. We still have those issues in the church today. That's not just affecting Asian Americans, but also black people, Hispanics, and other ethnicities as well. Mm. I think that's a very, very good point. We just don't like others. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't like others. We don't like to be in a very uncomfortable situation where we have to learn a different way of uh, thinking, a different, you know, culture involves the way of life and culture involves the way we eat, culture involves social habits, all these things. We don't want to be that uncomfortable situation. And so that's why I think a lot of our um, groups are just so separated. Uh, we can't feel what other people feel because we want to stay where we are. But given this social unrest, given this heightened, I think this is a heightened awareness that this world is is not nice. <laughs> put it that way, uh, this heightened awareness that uh, we got to feel what other people feel. My question to you is: 
the church, coming back to the church, and I know you you touched on the um, the answer a little bit, but when the church now, when the church speaks up, what does that look like? I know you said, you know, I think you mentioned fellowshipping together, but even with these um, Asian hate crimes that have been happening, what does that look like to you? What what would be the ideal way for a church to speak out against these evils? And if the church spoke out in you know your ideal ways, what impact do you think it would make? Okay, so another loaded question. Thank you so much. Um, so. There, there are a lot of nuances to this question, because when we say speak out, we, we think of, first of all, like pub, public statements. And public statements are nice, you know, tweeting something or retweeting something or posting something on your Facebook uh, is nice, but the hard work really is at the ground level. Um, responding in compassion, the way that Jesus responded. Uh, you'll find that the way that Jesus responded was through compassion. Jesus sat with a woman at the well and have a, had a conversation with her. He didn't come at her with judgment. He came at her from a position of humility. Hey, can I have a drink of water? And she's like, why are you talking to me? Because they don't normally have those conversations across those racial uh, or even gender lines. So when we talk about speaking out, we also have to speak to one another. It's one thing to speak on my behalf, but it's a whole nother issue if you want to speak to me. The problem is we want platitudes. We want to have an all-blanketing statement, but we shield ourselves from actually crossing the line and actually having conversations and speaking to one another. You know, when this whole thing started, when I post, I posted something on Facebook and, you know, I got overwhelming support, but I also got some criticism and of course we accept criticism in stride, you know, basically people saying like, you know, get over these things, but you know, when you think about it, it's just like, that's not helpful either way. You know, talk to me. You know, let's have lunch together. Let's talk about my story. Let's talk about the story of, you know, other Asian ethnicities in this country. When we listen to one another, we can empathize and have compassion for each other's experiences. Then that will lead us to actually knowing specifically what to speak about, knowing what issues to address, not just having fancy platitudes, but actually talking about. So we have, you know, certain minorities or certain groups in this country like refugees that don't don't speak English, that aren't able to get jobs that are above working in a chicken cutting factory. We can address those problems as a community. We can speak up. Uh, we can engage in public discussion and discourse with the local government. And, and how to improve the lives of these communities. We can do a lot, but it starts with empathy and empathy can only come from listening to each other's stories. Mm. Good yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw um, one, of our, one of our viewers shared about we, you know, people find community in, in, in you know, we, when we gather together, we find community and, and, and they are asking us not to advocate for taking that away. And I don't think we are advocating to take away community, but I believe we need to all, we need to build community yes. um, with others outside of our comfort zones. I remember mm -hmm. when I when I became the youth director for the Northeastern Conference, I realized I had to I had to serve the Hispanic community. 
in particular. We have a large Hispanic community there in the Northeastern Conference. And so that meant I had to go to the Hispanic church. I didn't understand a lick of Spanish. <laughs> Not even a lick. Un puku. Un puku. That's all I know. <laughs> but but I went. The songs were familiar. Um, you know, you just nod your head and smile. You know, there's a Jamaican saying, just nod and smile. You know, you just nod and smile. And, but, but they were so happy that I came and that I was willing to be there and not just talk about it. And that's yes. the kind of, that's how I got to learn about uh, the history. And then found out there were all these different groups within the Hispanic community. Just as mm -hmm. I know there are all these different groups in the Asian um, diaspora, if, if, I, if yes. I can use that, diaspora. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is that sometimes they don't even all get along. Very true. Mm -hmm. You know, and, but yet still we, we on the outside want, want that group to have that model. I think I get back to this, this model uh, ideal that they're, you know, we just put them all in one group and everything is going to be all right. And, and we, it's, it's, it's going to get messy. It's going mm -hmm. to get messy. And so what are some of the things, Pastor John, you, you, you grew up in this, you, you shared about what are some of the things you said, talk, you know, not just talking about, but talking to, but what are other things that churches can do? to help build that community to learn about others? Wow. What can churches do collectively? Look, be the church. And the thing mm. is, you know, I'm pretty sure this pandemic has taught us that the church is not a building or a program. It's a community of people that are called by God for his purpose. And that purpose is to bring the good news. And as Adventists, we believe this good news, according to the first angel's message, is to all nations, tongues, and tribes, right? So we can't just be preaching to our own people. We have to be going across the aisle and reaching to other tribes and nations. And I think that as a church, as, as diverse as we are, according to the latest Pew Research article, we are one of the most diverse churches in the world. But we also find that mm -hmm. we are also some of the more, more divided churches in the world. Let's be honest about that. Um, and part of it, yes, you know, seeing these comments that are coming in compassion, I think we need to be really emphasizing how Christ's method, right? We talk a lot about Christ's method, right? Whenever we have a, an evangelistic series, Christ's method alone, but when you actually look and pour into what Ellen White talked about in education when she quoted that, or Ministry of Healing, rather, she talked about how Jesus mingled, right? Mingled with them for their good, right? He gained their confidence and then bid them follow him, right? And so we see mm -hmm. that Christ actually gave us a model that we often talk, preach, and teach about, but yet we don't actually follow that. So when we reach out with compassion, we seek the good of others that are not like us as a church. And I'm pretty sure pastors, if those of you that are pastors that are watching this, I think your next sermon on compassion should include how God had compassion on those that were not of his country, race, or his tribe. Uh, how to reach out, how to listen. Uh, we do a lot of talking, but we don't do a lot of listening, unfortunately. That's a skill that has been very much uh, in need of, especially in light of everything that's been going on in this country. We like to talk over one another, but we don't actually listen. We don't actually have conversations. We have we have echoing chambers. Mm. Uh, and if you don't believe me, check your Facebook feed. You'll see that people love their echo chambers. Um, but I think 
overall as a church, we need to get back to the basics and follow Christ's method as our prophet pointed out long ago. Mm. I like the comment here by Shelly Service. She says the church can start by being more inclusive. Let's include different races and colors in church activities, programs, organization, you know, just just different things in our community, just reaching across those um, ethnic lines, reaching even across our denominational lines, I think yes. is, is important so that we can be with the people and mingle with others that may not be um, exactly or do the things exactly the way um, a particular culture do it. I think it's good. You know, when I was pastoring in the Avon Park Sebring area, uh, we had a good mix of different um, churches, of different ethnic backgrounds. We had a Filipino church. One of my good mm -hmm. friends there, Pastor Mendoza, uh, he was there and we were able to mingle with his church. We had a church that was uh, mostly Caucasian, able to mingle with that church, Hispanic church. So it was a really good mix of, of different uh, cultures. And it helped me, and I know it helped you know my members and just everyone to get to learn each other, right? Um, get to learn uh, the the way of life, and and one way I guess that we learn each other too is through the dinner table. You know, my my heritage is Jamaican, so you know we have the Jamaican food. <laughs> that's what we yeah. do, and then when we mingle with the Trinidadians, you know, they have the Trinidadian food. But that's all a part of the culture, you know, the music, the food, and all that. But just knowing each other, I think, helps us helps us to empathize, to empathize, and that's that's a key word there. Um, we, we're talking again about um, these crimes, and I, I want to ask this question, and, and Raj, maybe I'll, I'll skip your question there, but mm -hmm. what are some of the things our church leadership or even listeners in our audience can do to help affect some solutions to these issues? So what can the church leadership do? I know we said we sent out a statement there. Um, I know we talked about mingling. Um, are there other things that the leadership of our church can do to promote uh, empathy and and to to make sure that we are walking with those who are hurting? One thing I would say, you know, this summer, even now, you know, the the um, black community, African Americans, you know, we're definitely experiencing social unrest, like like all the other communities, you know, that we're um like the asian community and so forth this summer you know we had a lot of marches um and there even i think roger alluded to uh, what's happening there in, in minnesota today but what was interesting uh, especially this summer is that there weren't just black people who were protesting or marching there were a lot of other different cultures that were involved in standing up with the black community based on the um, the injustice that we've seen. And so from a, and in that March, even this summer, you know, we had um, a, a little rally, you know, my church members, we went behind one of my um, members who had a partnership with some local organizations. And uh, we all came together and we had a little rally. And in that rally, what was good to see, it was good to see my conference president there, the Mid-America Union president was there, other leaders were there, and I think that did a, a world of good to, to, and it had a great impact on the members that were there that they said, hey, listen, these leaders are standing with us. And so, you know, it made them feel 
like um, everybody is a part of this journey. When it comes to um, the, the Asian community, what are some of the things that the leaders can do now besides writing that statement? you know, which is which is good, you know, letting people know where you stand. But are there some other things that leaders can do um, so that we can make sure that the word is out that we are, you know, for justice? Yeah, that, that was a very good question. And uh, I would love for uh, us as a as a church to speak out more. And I would love to see us join these marches. Uh, just a quick historical uh, event that will give us frame the context for our discussion in 1982 uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, there was a, a man named Vincent Chin, Chinese American. And at the time there was uh, the, the Japanese auto industry was making a, a lot of inroads and gaining a lot of momentum in the area. So American manufacturers were getting put out of business. Uh, and so two disenfranchised workers uh, were in a bar with Vincent Chin, and he was celebrating a bachelor's party. He was about to get married. Uh, and they were so upset at the Japanese takeover that they beat him with a bat and killed him. Mm. And there was a court case, obviously, that came as a result of that. And the two murderers uh, were given uh, a light sentence. They were given um, a fine and a probation. And the judge's response, or rather his his statement regarding these two individuals that murdered this man who was Chinese, not Japanese, because first, can I just say this? We don't all look alike, okay? Asians do not all look alike. Um, the judge said that these aren't the kind of men that you put in prison. Yep. Yeah, wow. that's exactly what was stated. You can actually look it up. I encourage you look it up. 1982, the case of Vincent Chin, and that was the one of the first uh, moments in the Amer Asian American experience where that event rallied the Asian Americans in this country to speak out for the first time. And do you know who stood by them? The NCAA mm. stood next to them and spoke out on behalf of them. Spoke out. And we rallied together. And I saw a comment earlier saying that people outside the church are, are actually taking lead on this. And it's true. We find ourselves as a church unable or rather unwilling to make public stands or make public marches against injustice. So what I love to see Adventist leaders join anti-Asian hate marches, absolutely. What I would also like to see uh, our leaders do is reach out to, if you have Asian congregation or Asian pastors or Asian leaders in your conference, give them a phone call, send them a text message. Hey, how are you doing? What are ways that we can help you? Just the act of calling and sending a text message says a lot because the thing about us as Asians, again, because culturally we don't speak out. We don't like to stand out. The Japanese have a saying that the nail that sticks out gets hammered. That's how much we want to just fit in, not speak out. There's only 6% of us, and half of that are actually Asian Americans that can speak English, that knows that, that actually have the desire to speak out and understand they have the platform to speak out. So if you take that 3%, we need others to stand beside us because we cannot do it alone. So as a church, as a leadership, 
when you see that there are those that are disaffected or disenfranchised or hurting in your community, we have a moral and biblical responsibility to speak out on behalf of those that are hurting and our leadership has to lead. And they mm. have to take a stand even if they are going to be criticized because if they don't, others will. And that is going to damage the witness of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I will even go as far to say this, if we don't, that we actually do damage our ability to preach the three angels' messages because the first angel's message is to all tribes, tongues, and people. And if we don't speak out for the least of these, well, guess what? We will find ourselves outside the kingdom too. I, I, have, I have a saying that I like to share with Good folks when, when they ask about can the, what can the church do? I tell people we, there, you do not need permission to do ministry. You don't need permission to go out and, and help someone or support someone. And we sometimes we, 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 we get so tied up in wanting to see the church out front when, when I think COVID-19 has showed us we are the church. It's not the brick and mortar. It's not the sign. We are the church. So if we do it, the church is doing it. If I say it, the church is saying it. But when yes. I'm silent, the church is silent. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I think it's a very good point. Uh, you know, before we get to the next question, I just remember when Dr. Rock was uh, here on the, on the program and we were dealing with his book, Protest of Progress. And uh, he was mentioning that one of the last churches to make a stand against injustices regarding um, the, the the racial um, you know yoke that was on the and that is still on uh, Black Americans was the Adventist Church. We were the first. We were the last ones to really make a stand, and that needs to be reversed. We got to be out there now. We got to, and, and I like the suggestions that you gave and the ideas, um, calling our brothers and sisters in Christ and and praying for them and being with them and you know being available and speaking out you know i think those things are critical um as we try to you know champion this cause of, of justice for all definitely i think a very good point listen let, let, let's let's get to the other elephant in the room um we had two two of our uh viewers make this comment um and and i and i'm gonna just share their comments you know uh kamara said that it saddens my heart what else could what else must we see to collectively admit how ununited uh, a state we are changes in behavior start with education um how can we point fingers or finders fingers at other countries when we ourselves are having the same problem. You know, um, it, it starts with us. You know, we I think we just kind of jumped on it. If we are silent, if we are not the one speaking up, no one is speaking up. Right. You know, uh, but the but the real issue here is this. Um, this one was the was the crux when we looked at the news thing. Um, it was interesting to see that it was blacks who were attacking uh, the the Asian um, elderly, and that was crazy. You know that that was crazy, but it also shows that it's not 
it's not a white black situation or white against Asian situation. I think I think it's a a cultural situation, um, you know. But but I I'm just throwing it out there um, as an Asian American. Um, what what's your comment to to the situation of seeing another ethnic group that has been disenfranchised and probably having to say we you know reach um being the 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 source of the hate yeah i'm glad this question was brought up because this is a very important question uh over the course of my life i experienced racism from every culture not just white people but also black people i was uh, when i i love basketball it's my favorite sport but when I was playing pickup basketball, I was told because I'm Asian that I'm not good enough to play. Um, who wants to play with a Chinese kid? I was always that kid that was always left out because of my ethnicity. Uh, I, I experienced it from all races, but when it comes to particularly since we're talking about black Asians and other minorities, here's the thing. The, those stereotypes of Asians have consequences. They have mm. consequences especially when you look at how the model minority works. The model minority is basically used as a prop against other minorities to show, hey, look at the Asians. Look at how well they're doing. You all should look like them or do what they are doing. What that does is that sets us up, sets other minorities against us as another minority. Look, we're only 6% of the population. If you guys want to stamp us out, it's going to de- not going to <laughs> take very long. But the fact of the matter is this stereotypes and this concept of model minority has bled into how we treat one another as minorities. Mm. And it's sad, but this is the hard truth. And the mm-hmm. hard truth is that we've all bought into the lie. Uh, even growing up, I-, I bought into the whole model minority thing where, hey, I'm Asian. I should be good at math. Hey, I'm Asian. I should be a doctor. Hey, I'm Asian. I should be making lots and lots of money. Hey, I'm so we also as Asian Americans, we've bought into this model minority lie too, to which to our detriment in our relationships with other minorities, we see ourselves as another class of white. Mm. Let's be honest. And so being propped up and propped up like that then causes probably bitterness uh, and mm-hmm. jealousy and anger from other minorities seeing us. And look, we have probably projected ourselves in that manner as well. So I'm not laying blame outside my community. The thing is, we've all bought into the lie and that has set us at odds against one another. So when I see black people attacking Asians and Asians treating black people terrible in their stores, we've all bought into the lie. We've all bought into that lie and we're all guilty of it. So what I would suggest is, hey, let's reexamine those those stereotypes and let's stop them let's stop making these horrible jokes about one another's ethnicity the bible tells us that whatever is good we need to dwell on Mm -hmm. the good things when we have these casual jokes talking about the sexuality of asians we talk about the sexuality of of black people or how uh, mexicans in this country are coming over to take all of our jobs what that does is it creates a narrative and it paints a story of how all people are like. And when we have these stereotypes, it inevitably leads to violence. Mm. Mm. Wow, wow. You know, um, as I as I went around, as I go around and minister to particularly in youth ministries, that's that's where my heart is. Um, um 
I tend to find that in different cultures, we're all facing the same issues. Parents in, in many different cultures are still struggling to, to get their young people to want to go to church, get their young people to, 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 to be productive at home, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's funny that we tend to be so, uh, we use such large, uh, paint such a broad picture uh, of others in, in the culture. But when you get into the culture, you realize they're going through the same hurt and pain. Yes. That that uh, that we have, even as an African American, you know, with my son, uh, making sure that he does right. I need to, I you know, when I talk to a Caucasian family, they're going through the same thing. It may be a different subject, but they are actually facing some of the same uh, issues that I'm facing as a black father in in America. And I know it's the same with as a as a as an Asian father, as an Asian mother. Um, with your young people. And I, I think we need to begin to look at the similarities and stop looking mm -hmm. for the differences. Yeah, I like that. The similarities, you know, what we have in, 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 in that's similar. And, and the more that we can identify with that too, can also give us the, the tendency to have more empathy. Because at the end of the day, we are all people, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm looking in the comments here, um, you know, I think one of the reasons why there's this attack on the community is because hurt people hurt people, right? Yeah. Somebody said it. And so when I'm hurt, I'm going to hurt somebody else. And that should not be. Um, right. There's a lot of, you know, keep on chatting in the chat. There's a lot of, in, there's, a, there's a good dialogue going on, Pastor Wade. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> Pastor Paul is, is not on air with us. But he's looking, and he's he has a poll he wants to put up, especially in the on the Facebook side. So, Pastor Paul, uh, you, hey, I wanted to make sure that people are aware that that is coming up, and that's part of the show. So, go on and put that poll up, and uh, let's see how that ends up um, from from what you what you're sharing. But but I believe that um, when we when we when we look at the diversity in the Asian community. Um, how how connected are they in the in the you know or is it really so diverse that they're not connected? Mm. Yes, <laughs> the short answer is yeah. yes to both questions. Um, you'll find that in the diaspora from certain uh, Asian countries, they tend to gravitate mm -hmm. towards those that are from their country of origin. That's the true for every other. Uh, immigrant group in this country. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but we do in our church in both conferences, both regional and state conferences. That's another conversation. Mm -hmm. But we have Korean churches, we have Filipino churches on both sides of the aisle. Uh, so we tend, again, we gravitate towards what we like and who we're familiar with. And of course, there's also that issue of language mm -hmm. uh, and culture that are involved in that as well. Um, but that shouldn't mean that we shouldn't try. We shouldn't right. we shouldn't try to make those those inroads and I, there was a comment that came on on the on the stream i don't if you will permit me i'd like to address sure. uh, about how yes. you know cer certain things said about asians uh from political office uh oh, affected yes. Yes. Asians in this country i will simply say this words have consequences mm -hmm. words have consequences and as as believers in the bible we also know that words can create and words can destroy. 
And so we have to be very mindful, not just talking about stereotypes, but how we choose and phrase things, right? Paul says that everything is permissible, not everything is helpful. I'm paraphrasing in my own John International Standards. So we can say <laughs> things that are true, but are not necessarily helpful. So did the virus, COVID-19, uh, originated from China? That's disputed now, but mm -hmm. even if it was, it's not helpful to call it the Chinese virus because when someone latches onto that, mm -hmm. then who are they going to direct their blame towards? And by the way, this whole concept of all Asians look alike, that's a stereotype. And guess what? We get grouped in along with the Chinese and we get attacked. Mm -hmm. So words have consequences. And we have to be very mindful of what we say and what we communicate because that could lead to hurt, pain, and even death. Mm. Words are powerful. You know, I was just listening to a message by uh, Walter Pearson. Um, I, I think one of the my one of my favorite uh, preachers, and he was talking about the word. Just just words in general. Words are powerful. And I think to your point, you know, when we make these comments, um, it, it it impacts people, especially when you are in a leadership position, what yeah. you say is so important. And so I think even for church leaders, uh, we gotta watch the way we address um, situations and issues because our words make a tremendous difference in how people react and respond to the issues at hand. Um, I was looking here in the chat and I liked what Pastor uh, Marlon Lamont said. He said something that was good as we talking about, you know, communicating the differences and um, really trying to understand um, each other's community. He says, we ought to talk uh, with, not to, but with the individual. You know, a lot of times, oh, here you go. Not only talking about or talking to, but talking with. I think that's, yes. a, that's a difference there, right? We get yes. to talk about the issue. Um, we can talk to, but talking with the individuals. Yes. And I think that gives us more empathy um, as we as we go on in our, our journey. I want to ask this, uh, Pastor John, listen, so, you know, you have been um, just in our prior conversation, you, you know, talked about some of these issues on other platforms, um, just, you know, trying to uh, get that word out on on how to have empathy and how can we respond. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit on um, as you're talking about these issues and, and dealing with different uh, segments of our community, how has that shaped you? Has have you, you know, been shaped by your dialogue on this issue? Are there some things that, you know, has has come to your mind and say, okay, yeah, that's I got to address that perspective or that's interesting. But are you getting a a different perspective or another perspective on how people are dealing with this issue as you are on these different platforms. And even in your comments, you mentioned that you put some things on Facebook and there were some comments that came back to you. How have these things shaped you as you deal with this issue? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, another loaded one. Again, you're like, you're five for five now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I can only respond with my my journey. You know, I grew up in a, a Filipino American church, so I went to church with people that look like me. But then I branched out. I went to 
other churches. I went to Southern, then to Andrews and encountered people that did not look like me or had didn't have the same experience. Um, and I appreciate the, the diversity of friends and colleagues that God has brought into my life and having those kind of conversations have helped diversify my perspective. Uh, but when it comes to um, issues of racism, I think of, uh, I, I, I was late to this game and I will be, I will admit it very frankly, the whole issue of uh, racism against the black community. I always knew that that was an issue, but I didn't understand until I actually heard uh, the pain and the stories from my friends. And I, I looked into the history of, of the African-American experience in this country. I will never claim that I will understand, but I'm willing to listen and, and share empathy and compassion. Now, with that said, when I shared, you know, my experience, uh, mm -hmm. how I how I lamented this current situation uh, in regards to my community, the Asian American community, um, I was overwhelmed by the support. But at the same time, those comments, the few comments of, you know, kind of disparaging, kind of insulting, really showed me that more people are interested in defending their political platform than they are about people. Uh, they're more interested in about uh, certain agendas or certain philosophies than they are about uh, reaching out with compassion and listening to people's stories. And to that end, uh, I'm committed to platforms like this, sharing stories, sharing our experiences. I did a panel discussion with several other Asian American Pacific Islanders, uh, AAPI, that's what it stands for. Uh, we just, we, we, for almost an hour and a half, we just talked about our experiences. There were tears, there was anger. Uh, it was cathartic, it was healing to see that when we share our stories, people can gain an understanding and different perspective, show empathy. Uh, and so I would just, for me, I think that's the way forward. We, as, first of all, I just shout out to my Asian Americans that are actually watching this. Uh, we can't stay silent and we have to stop holding stuff inside. Uh, the recent events, this is not new, but we have to be able to be vulnerable and share our stories with our brothers and sisters, because if we don't, then they're not going to know how to help us. And so we need to have can continue to have these conversations, share our stories, not just with not just with those that are not in our community, but within our community as well. Mm. Good point. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the ways that I've I've seen it work, um, especially with young people, you know, there's a there's a there's a sense, especially with African-American young people to not even know their own history. And I, I don't mm -hmm. know if that's the same in the, in the Asian culture. Um, we have African-American young people who don't know the history of African-Americans here in the United States. And so they tend to want to uh, minimize when when others are talking about, um, you know, making sure you're, you know, you have self-respect and, and uh, for your culture and for your race. Um, and they tend to say, no, we, you know, slavery is over with. Um, we need to move past this. And, and we don't really understand where this, you know, where it's coming from. Uh, do you do you find that in the a Asian culture or even just even in the Filipino culture yes. that you grew up in? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, again, sharing stories from my life, I have seen uh, Filipinos that I've grown up with ashamed of being Filipino. I've had uh, Filipino girls tell me they would never date a Filipino because uh, they want to date and marry a white person. I've heard it said from uh, Filipinos say, you know, if you're not going to marry a Filipino, marry a white person so you can improve the race. Those are the things that I have encountered uh, growing up uh, wow. here. 
uh, from other Filipinos. So it's not just from the outside, it's also from the inside that perpetuates this concept of, you know, lighter skin, uh, beauty, lighter skin, meaning that you are more advantageous in society. So uh, yes, we have uh, those issues within. I can speak for the Filipino community, but I'm pretty sure there's other communities of, of, of Asia that also have that mentality of, you know, white is right. Um, and that's just the truth of the matter. Uh, and yeah, a large part of it has to do with, yeah, there's not a lot of us. So when you don't, when you grow or isolated from other people that look like you or have experienced like you or have the same culture as you, you tend to gravitate towards the majority culture and that's what you identify with. So again, that's just how it is when you are only what? In, in Kentucky, I think there's a 0.001% Asians. So mm. that may be just me, <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you don't have other people that can, help you understand your background. Of course, my parents, I shared earlier, didn't want to teach me the language because they wanted me to learn English and English only. So I wouldn't be confused. So that detaches us from our culture because you've taken away the language. So this is what we know. And this is what, unfortunately, we, that's all we know. Uh, great. I'm grateful that my parents saw it in their wisdom, let me spend summers in the Philippines. So where I could connect with their, with my heritage and, and learn some of the language. So yes, I would say that I was I was raised in a balanced way. I appreciate and I very much honor my cultural heritage, but I also identify as an American. But I have that Filipino flavor. Mm. And so, yes, part of my journey, except finding out who I am, because when you grow up here as a second generation, uh, you're not seen as American. But when you go to the Philippines, you're not seen as Filipino, Filipino. either. Mm. So I was caught mm. in between both worlds. So I had to learn the history of the Philippines. I had to educate myself. I had to read books. I had to pick my parents' brains about, you know, our family history. And so I have come to a place where I honor my heritage, but I also re embrace the fact that I am American. And that's not a, either side is not a detriment. It is, it's a coalescing of how God created me to be. And that's a place of strength, not of weakness. And I want to encourage anyone that is, ignorant of their culture, learn your culture, read your cultural history and embrace where God has brought you. That's the only way forward. It's not one or the other. It's embracing the two. Right. Yeah. Listen, I am on a, I'm on a journey now learning about my culture. I'm learning about my family history. Um, and we had a little family gathering reunion a couple of years ago and found out, although I was born in Trinidad and came to the United States, my great-great-grandparents were from Barbados. I got some Bajan <laughs> in me. Um, yes. and, it, it, you know, and it was such a joy to hear the story, the stories that were shared. I think we, we miss so much to find out how rich our culture is. Um, yes. And even in America, even being an African-American, there is so much difference. You, you have the group of Africans who came over uh, and settled in South Carolina and, and, and the Gucci Islands. And they're, they're, that culture is rich. Um, there is so much involved in what's happening um, with 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 the culture that it it you will be surprised to know how you know how saucy uh, or, or the new word young people like to say how sexy your 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 uh, your your history is there and uh, we we just need to get to know our history. I, I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a good thing to learn where we came from. And it, it will and it will also shape us 
so that we can be uh, impactful, so that we know who we are. And listen, God, God is is a God of diversity. And uh, I'm just so glad that, that God loves each and every one of us. And I think it's our job to mingle with other communities so that we can um, understand and see that God is good. And, and in diversity, we see God's character in all these diverse, diversified communities. Let me, let me say this. Um, I know we're coming down to the end. Um, now, if there were two things, you know, we're talking about these these hate crimes we're talking about culture learning our culture we're, uh, how these things shape us and so when we think about the Adventist church we already spoke about what are some things that the church can do i think individually and as a in leadership you know positions what we can do so that we can uh show that we care and be a, a part of the solution speaking up so if there were two things that you can change now, though, about the current Seventh-day Adventist church to make it more inclusive and, and focus on mission, okay? And, and we put this all in the lens of, of what's happening in our society. What would they be? Again, okay? so again, two things that you can change about our current SDA church to make it more inclusive and more focused on mission, given the lens and of where we are in society, given all these issues that we're talking about, what would they be? I have a few, but I'll, I'll, I'll start it this way. I think that we need to stop or rather balance our, our theology and our eschatology. This is, you know, nerd talk here for us pastors. Um, We've spent so much time living for the future that we neglect the present. Mm. You know, and as Adventists, we're all talking about Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, but that's all. That's also a crutch for us not to deal with the issues that we're discussing. Wow. You know what? Jesus is coming, so we don't have to talk about racism. We don't have to deal with social justice. Jesus is coming. He's going to make all things right. Well, Jesus has been coming for the last 2,000 years, and the world is still in the shape that it's in. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Paul put it this way. We have a ministry of reconciliation, mm -hmm. right? Reconciliation with one another, because the world will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, if for your not your theology, but how your theology is lived out and how you're loving one another. And so that would be one thing that I really wish that our church is caught on to. And secondly, um, we just need to talk with each other. Like I really wish that instead of putting up walls, which Christ brought down, we start building bridges. Right. And that's something that that's a paradigm shift that we need to see happen. And that's not going to happen from the top down. That's going to come from a grassroots movement of sincere believers. This is the way that Ellen White, I believe she said, until a better way is found, this is the way that I believe that she was talking about. The only way we're going to get there is together. Mm, that is so true. I, I was sharing with my church, one of the churches I pastored. I said, if you look at the New Testament, uh, the, the first four books about the gospel, you have an, a book about history. And the rest of the New Testament is about how to get along with one another. <laughs> Everything else in that New Testament. And we tend to think that it's all about just knowing Christ, but it's also about getting along and getting to know each other, sitting in the pew yeah. with people. of Because when we get to heaven, they're going to be in the pew with us. That's in right. In heaven. <laughs> That's right. 